Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC is our bi-weekly podcast where we, as, you know, geriatric millennials, <laughs> discuss <laughs> the Babysitter's Club, book by book, episode by episode, just having lots of feelings, which we're going to have some in this book a couple times over. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, we'll get into what this book is, but like, there were... This It kicks off, and I was just like, oh, God. And I, I texted you, and I was like, have you read yet? I don't feel good about this. And, like, it gets better, but then there's another thing. And, like, just sort of overall, I was just kind of grossed out by the way yeah. that everything was handled. Like, what the girls do is great, and I am fully support, you know, helping other people. But the way that they talked about the kids and the families that they were helping and, like, what they were doing, it just made me feel gross. <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly the experience I had. Yeah, I got your text and uh, my I, I was immediately like imagining the worst mm-hmm. because, you know, I, the last time I got that text, it was uh, Secret of Susan. So yeah. I'm going, oh boy. <laughs> right. What are we in for this time? <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. The first like chapter, I was like, oh boy, this is a Secret of Susan part two, <laughs> Redux. Yeah. My notes literally say, I already hate this so much. <laughs> Actually, I, I think you hit the nail on the head for me. So let's get into what book we're actually talking about. And so we can get all into the particulars and really Mm -hmm. dig into the the inner workings. Because I think you're really right that it's it's a good book overall with one big giant misstep that kind of ruins a lot of the good that's there. I think that's kind of my too long didn't read. (laughs) So we are up to book 44 in our main series, and it is Dawn and the Big Sleepover. This was released in May 1991, and I think this may be our first male ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Our ghostwriter is Peter Lagrangis, I think. It's L-E-R-A-N-G-I-S. And mm-hmm. I googled, I couldn't find anything like how to pronounce, so I I think... If, if Peter, I believe Peter's going to come up a number of times, so I think we mm-hmm. get to decide on a uh, pronunciation now and then go with it. <laughs> right, wrong. I like and, it. <laughs> and and if anyone knows and corrects us, fantastic. Right. But for now, we're going to call him Larangus, Larangus, or Larangus. What do you think? I think Larangus. Larangus. I like it. All right, Peter Larangus, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> We're glad to have you. Glad you can join us, getting some gender diversity in here. We love to see it. If you listened to last week's episode, you may remember from our predictions that neither Kate nor I had any real recollection of this particular big sleepover. And uh, I would say that that did not come back to me at all as we were reading. What Mm -hmm. about you? So the only thing that sort of came back to me is I had like vague recollections of reading a book where someone, and I don't know if it was Dawn and Marianne or a different book series entirely, I remember like teen teen protagonists collecting things for like a, a charity drive or something in a barn. So that was the that, only tiny piece. But the fact that that's literally the only thing that was sort of triggering, not triggering, but like yeah. bringing up memories of, you know, back in the day. That was the only thing that was coming up. Like, oh, I kind of remember this, but I don't think it was Dawn and Marianne. So like, and like I said, the rest of it meant absolutely nothing. It was not like, oh, right, the fire at the elementary school. Like, none of that came back. So yeah, I I definitely think I was correct in my assessment that I had never read this book. (laughs) It's possible for me that it could have gone either way, that I just never read it or that I read it and it just completely you know, in one ear, out the other. Mm-hmm. That is not an uncommon experience for me, when, especially when I'm reading, like, a series. Mm-hmm. I love Harlan Coben. He's such a great pop thriller 
author and some of his books, because I've read them all, I'm like, wait, have I read this one? But right. it's also because they are kind of similar and, and there are similar themes. And, and that's kind of how I was feeling with this one. Like stuff like a school where they need to, you know, fundraise for somebody to help somebody or a disaster or a, a sleepover in the gym or the collecting items. Like all of those are, I feel like pretty pop culture standard yeah. pieces. So like, like I said, that part of it, I really liked all of that. It was just who and why they were collecting that right. made it all really, really <laughs> the icky. specifics. So for sure. let's let's do the back of the book, and then Kate, you can tell us about those specifics so that we can nitpick as we do Perfect. so well. Love it. All right, let's let's start with some drama though, because uh, spoiler alert: not a lot. The stuff we're going to nitpick is not the funny stuff. So let's get some laughs in early. For sure. A bunch of kids at Stony Brook Elementary have pen pals at a school in New Mexico. The babysitters love hearing the letters that Charlotte, Becca, and the Pike children get from their new friends. Then the bad news reaches Stony Brook. Their pen pal school has been destroyed in a fire. Dawn is so upset that she organizes a fundraiser for them. And as a reward to all the kids who help out, she's going to throw a gigantic sleepover. A hundred kids, 30 pizzas. Will Dawn survive her biggest job ever? Yeah, I mean it's getting to yeah. it's, it's a little not, misleading. It's not terrible, but yeah. it's not it's not exactly everything that happens, but since there's not a ton of like B plot in this one, it it sort of does kind of encompass the entire plot. It's a little bit over dramatic as usual, but Yeah. But it's not like it's completely off the rails and like describing a a separate book that is loosely adjacent to what actually happens, which we Very have seen true. in plenty of situations. Yeah, I think my biggest squabble with it is that it makes it sound like Dawn was the only one doing anything. Or like, right. It, Dawn's biggest babysitting job. <laughs> yeah. And this very much had the feel of a super special at times. Like even with the like letters was, mm-hmm. um, you know, multiple people writing and, and multiple points of view. So it was, while it was a standard Dawn full narrator, this feels very misleading to make it mm-hmm. the, the focus so much on her where it was her idea, but it was really a full project, which is why no right. B-plot. So that makes sense. Exactly. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll do my description and then we can get into our deeper discussions. Okay. So Dawn Specific. The kids at Stony Brook Elementary School are participating in Pens Across America, a maybe real program that pairs up schools across the country and gives each kid a pen pal to communicate with. The kids at SCS are paired up with a school in New Mexico on a Zuni reservation. The book starts off extremely problematically with the Pike kids, the triplets in particular, lamenting that their pen pals seem like, quote, normal kids. This conversation involves an extreme amount of offensive language and stereotypes, which were sadly not out of place at the time. And I was concerned that this would continue throughout the entire book, but thankfully was not the case. We were barely introduced to the pen pal idea when the Babysitter's Club learns that the elementary school in New Mexico burned down along with a number of homes nearby. The kids in the Babysitter's Club are very sad for them, but it gives Dawn the opportunity to have her own great idea, which includes a food drive, a clothing drive, and fundraising to send to the school and community in New Mexico, with a sleepover celebration at the end for all of the kids who participate and prizes for everyone. The girls get organized and plan for the donations to go to Dawn's house and for all of the kids to take fundraising into their own hands, which they do to varying degrees of success. The kids are all are all very into the donating, which Dawn and Marianne realize may not be quite above board when Dawn finds that they have designer dresses, caviar, and a newly tailored suit in the mix, since this isn't Cher Horowitz doing the donating, where those items may have made sense. 
It turns out the kids were so motivated to get good prizes for participation that they were grabbing anything not nailed down in their houses, and Marianne comes up with the idea to get permission slips for future donations. The events are a huge success, and the sleepover is as well. The girls package everything up to send to New Mexico, and it arrives there as a surprise. They get a nice letter back from the principal of the elementary school that legit made me tear up, but they also have some side-eye because the but I also had some side-eye because the principal mentions the donations being enough to put down a down payment to obtain a construction loan. Like, they say the number is a phen- phenomenal total, but that seems far-fetched. Also, do they not have insurance? Regardless, the Babysitter's Club does a great job and everyone's happy at the end. So, Babysitter's Club generally, or Babysitter's Club specific. There's really not much that isn't part of the larger plot here. While Stacy is babysitting Charlotte, Charlotte comes up with a great idea to announce Dawn's great idea to the school in an announcement to spread the word far and wide. Mallory and Jesse help the Pike kids and others in the neighborhood put on a carnival in Mallory's backyard that goes shockingly well, even though there's quite a commotion when Chewy, the Perkins' dog, is scared by a high schooler, Goober Mansfield, who's dressed (laughs) up as a dinosaur, and then scares Jamie Newton in turn before rampaging through the carnival. Claudia helps the Radowskis plan a group yard sale in their backyard, where all of the parents come to discover that their kids have brought items there as well without permission, including Watson's rare book collection and Mrs. Delaney's lamp. The parents are good-natured about it and quote-unquote buy their possessions back to help for the good cause. Marianne babysits for the Braddocks, where Haley decides to sell fortunes as a fundraiser, which includes her dressing up as a Romani person and using the typical slur used in our time period back then, and putting on an affected accent. It's not great, obviously, but she does get a decent amount of money out of Alan Gray and his buddies by making up fortunes of exactly what they'd want to hear about their future. Yeah, uh, the... This is not the first time we've seen the Madame Laveau, and she's that's yeah. a recurring thing. Uh, yeah, and I still the the G slur every time that that pops up, it it, yeah. it it triggers that. But it is very of the time, and that she's not the costuming and the what they're calling it is is the offensive part of of mm-hmm. what she's doing. If they, if it's just been like a generic fortune telling or psychic type right. of thing uh, mm, even that we, you can find some ways to to do it in a way that would be more or less problematic and i yeah. wish that that were the case because some of the stuff that she does is adorable including we get right. the, the final joke of the book is a uh madame laveau joke she so the babysitters have told the kids that about what's happening but they asked them not to tell their pen pals they want it to be a surprise and madame laveau well Haley Braddock cannot possibly wait to tell. So she writes a letter as Madame Laveau to her pen pal that, ooh, great help will be coming from the East. And and it's really cute. But then the, the girl writes back to Madame Laveau and ends it with, P.S., this time try to disguise your handwriting better, Haley. And it was <laughs> right. so cute. So after yeah, all that of that, great. it was – that was the note that I needed to end this. I think that's why – one of the reasons I'm not as – angry as I would be otherwise about it because really the first couple of of that first chapter was mm-hmm. was really rough and honestly like every time it, it was how they talked about the tribe the condescension there yeah. and I actually think having a natural disaster type thing and the girls doing a fundraiser and and I, that is all fantastic if they had not made it an indigenous tribe I'd be thrilled with this book. I mean, we'd have, we'd quibble over Madame Laveau, but other than that, I'd be like, right. this is great. They're learning to be, you know, if it was more 
of a comparable, like kids like them or in a similar neighborhood or one town over has a tornado or, or something right. that feels less, oh, we're so benevolent. We're, you know, the great white hope coming in to save you. Right. And well, because Dawn even says, like, compared to them, we're rich. And it's like, well, actually, you guys are rich. But like the way that she says that is like, well, certainly we now have to help these people that can't help themselves and blah, blah. And it's like, no, (laughs) you guys can just be good people and help people regardless of like, oh, we're so we're so much better than them. So we have to help them. Like, no, just help them. And so because we're we're clearly going to get upset about this and are upset about this. I do want to acknowledge that at the very least, they did try to acknowledge that Indian is not the appropriate term, that it's, right. that it's Native American. They tried to have that conversation. And I do remember that starting back then. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we haven't gotten as far as I thought we'd be 30 years later, but right. we are still having it. And I do want to point out and just note, I'm going to be using Native American and Indigenous pretty interchangeably, largely because in my the experience that I've had Speaking with Indigenous people, Native Americans, the research I've done, the naming convention, if you want to call it that, I guess, mm-hmm. is is complicated. Very similar to the the queer community, you know, how you label right. yourself, what you call yourself. We have many, many disparate tribes throughout the United States. They are not a monolith. Even within tribes, people have their own right. perceptions of, of what – is right for for them as individuals. So this is not us claiming this particular language is is correct. So I, at the very least, that made me appreciate more that at least they're trying to have that conversation now. So shout out to that. But on the heels of, I I wish there would have been more pushback from the girls since there was that pushback. So clearly it was Mm -hmm. there. But then when it's, it's more... Because they're noticing that they're disappointed that they're not getting the stereotypical version of the of the Indian that they you know I'm think Peter Pan I'm sure that that's what they're all envisioning. Right. The girls are more like bemused by that and eye rolly about that than being like, no, I, I, they kind right. of say no. I don't know. That's why I, I I have I'm not as frustrated by this as I am as some of the other ones in some ways because it's not quite as overt. They are making right. some of these. Uh, attempts. But at the same time, I think it's more frustrating because it's so unnecessary. It adds nothing to the plot. It's not the point. It is not like Susan in that autism was the topic we are tackling. And as as much as I don't want to say, I wish they had done a Native American specific episode because I just was about to say, nope, that, that that's not what yeah. I wanted. Again, be careful what we wished for. <laughs> right. Now, if that had been an option, whatever. But I, I was thinking if it had been split into two things, you know, if, like if it had been a natural disaster yeah. relief fundraiser for the next town over, great. And then pen pals with an, an indigenous community to learn about how other people live if done respectfully through a 2022 lens. Because I think mm-hmm. it'd be, that could be a great – yeah. A, a great plot, and there is absolutely no agency or reality to the Zuni tribe as we experience them in this book. And that is mm-hmm. unfortunate because it is a real tribe with a real right. history and, and real peoples and to be used in the – and again, this is where I go back and forth because I'm like, to be used as a prop in this, you know, white savior complex it, it is feels mm-hmm. really gross. But at the same time, do I wish that they had made up a tribe? I, I, that's right. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't know. I keep going like back and forth the same way that you are because like 
like it's it's frustrating that they decided this is how we're going to bring indigenous people into the babysitters club story and at the same time they barely acknowledge anything about them it's like oh they live in adobe like and that's about it you know like we get basically no information that would teach us anything even the like communal living because they do they briefly mention the adobe and then they kind of intimate toward a more traditional indigenous family structure where Mm -hmm. they stay closer at home it's more community-based you know that's more human uh historical how we were raised and and you know created communities etc right and they kind of briefly touch on that in that the girls are like wow, it seems like they have a lot of people in their home. And when the their pen pals comment, you know, how do you get – you only live with your family. How does all the work get done? And the way that it was presented made it feel like a looking down on them for having to have so many people living in their home. Right. Rather having than having it be an exploration of this is a different style right. of community, a different style of right. of living life and and Right. And how how would that feel to have all of your aunts and uncles and grandparents living in the same house all working together, all spending time together on a regular basis, on a daily basis. You know, talking about it that way cuz like yeah, out of all of our girls, the only ones who sort of come close and not even close at all is Christy in that nanny lives with them too. You know, so it, with yeah, Aunt I guess Cecilia. Aunt Cecilia. Yeah, I forgot about that. But you know, most of them it's it's just their immediate family and it obviously seems strange to them. But like you said, it's more of a I can't believe they have to have all these people living together as opposed to how cool would that be to have that experience? I wonder what it would be like if, if our grandparents lived here or our aunts and uncles lived here and like we all mm-hmm. lived in one house and spent time together. Like what what would our family dynamic be? You know, how would it change? How would it be good? How would it be bad? Like any sort of examination of like why and even like why, you know, the Zuni tribe has, le- you know, they live together in that way like what does Mm -hmm. that mean for them how has it always been that way presumably yes because like you said throughout human history that's been much more typical than the way that you know americans live in the 90s and today with just their immediate family and like so i think that that's the problem is like they give us just like the bare surface level and Mm -hmm. then they don't go any deeper and our girls don't engage with it in any way and the kids that they babysit for don't engage with it in any way it's like oh that's so weird end of communication end of conversation end of even like thinking about it it's like oh how nice bye and and, like that's what's frustrating yeah the missed opportunity aspect right because they're exactly and i think as you were saying that i was like wow there could have been some really cool conversation there and even even the opportunity for some respectful kind of pro and con like Mm -hmm. yeah wouldn't it be really cool to have everybody there it's like christmas morning every morning you know that right because that's the times that we all get our whole family together but oh my gosh i would never have any privacy and how would that be and what would that feel like and even i was just thinking speaking of jesse she came from a more similar style Mm -hmm. than that in jersey she talks a lot about how all of her family lived right by each other. They all basically lived on right. the same block. They were all much more enmeshed than uh, right. that, her as, cousin was her best friend, as opposed to you know some girl that she met at school. And in fact, we see her cousin in this episode mm-hmm. 
episode. Right, which means it would have been the perfect opportunity to examine that, you know, and even just to mention like, oh, that's like Jesse and Christie's family to a certain degree. Maybe we could ask them like what they think or how it how they feel, because we always get the mention like Aunt Cecilia lives with Jesse. Mm -hmm. Nanny lives with the, the Thomas Brewer family. But we never really get an examination of what that means, you know, what that might feel like on a day to day basis, how it might be different from the rest of the girls and their families or the kids that they babysit for in their families. It's just sort of like, that's a fact about Jesse. That's a fact mm-hmm. about Christy. End of discussion. And like, we got the Cecilia transition period. So right. like the the pushing back against it. And then that ended with her settling into the, to the home. But since then, we haven't had any real indication of how has that changed their home life? Has right. it changed the dynamic? I mean, we get hints of it every, or hints of her every once in a while. But I haven't felt like any actual impact of what that mm-hmm. looks like. Nanny, not a damn thing. It, it, it right. was like a She's only ever line. mentioned because like she's not there. That's why there's a babysitter at the mansion. <laughs> you know, like Nanny's out bowling or Nancy or Nanny's out doing whatever. And so because otherwise, if Nanny was around, there wouldn't need to be a babysitter from the babysitter's club at Christie's house for that episode or that book. Exactly. Have we ever even like had a scene with Nanny in it or have we only ever heard about her off screen? I feel like we've gotten like one or two, like, you know, like, because I think there was maybe a time when like before she moved in, she was like coming to visit or something. I think you're right. Because I remember, I know that I really like her. I have a fondness for her, but I'm yeah. like, why, where, and I know the pink clinker and I, we talked about how active she is and we love how she's just like jetting around doing her own thing. Right. But I can't remember if that's based on the descriptions or if we have had an actual impression of her to to back that up. But yeah, I think you're right. I vaguely want to say, but I wouldn't, I don't put it, you know, again, we talked in one year off the other. I think we see her originally at the wedding. That would make sense. You know, like it would make sense with all the family that was coming in. So I think that's the first instance that we see her as a character. But I, now that you're talking, I think a lot of it probably, all of our fondness for her, I think a lot of it does come from the descriptions the same way that we've talked about Marianne and Logan, you know, like, oh, Logan's the best. Nanny's the best. So we're just like, obviously, yes, our girls know what they're talking about. Clearly, they're the best. I think I I think that our feelings of Nanny are more accurate than our feelings of Logan based on descriptions. Probably. Um, but it, it's it's definitely interesting because we definitely get more descriptions of how cool Nanny is than we actually see Nanny being cool. Yes. But I love that. I love that that's just yeah. sort of a fact of their life. And it would have been cool to see what that really look like yeah and really uh speaking of wasted opportunities and characters we don't get to see enough of jesse's cousin is a perfect example Mm -hmm. like it was a tossed off line that she came in to help for the weekend and she went she was at the festival but we never talk to her we never hear anything about her there's no interaction like i i feel like it would have been a bigger deal if the girls are meeting Jesse's best friend for right. the first time. Like we're talking Laney level here. Um, and it just, I think it sort of go- speaks to the poor Mal and Jess of it all uh, of the just sort of lack of respect that not only the, the characters seem to have, but the series seems <laughs> to have sometimes that they just sort of seem yeah. like an afterthought Yeah, or like with Jesse being, I think it, it actually ties into the sometimes Jesse being that overly perfect Mary Sue type figure because that's so much easier than having three dimensions and, and you know, think about the problems that Jesse's faced versus the things that we have seen Stacy deal with just like in last episode or Claudia mm-hmm. or Mary Ann. Like 
we've had two plot lines for her now of what, maybe three total that were about, you know, dance school shenanigans. Right. So, I mean, we did get the Aunt Cecilia one, but I, I don't know. It just feels like there's not as much depth to Jesse and yeah. Mallory and that very much the, the random cameo of the cousin whose name I can't, I keep calling the cousin because I can't even remember her name because she's it's that much Keisha. of an Keisha. Thank you. Yeah. Keisha. But, but that's, that's the thing they mentioned. Oh yeah. Keisha was here and she and Jesse took pictures of everyone with a Polaroid. And that's like literally all we get about her. Despite yeah. the fact that, you know, when we've had, and I can't, I mean, maybe it was for Jesse's first book when she's talking about, you know, her old, not her old best friend, but her, her best friend before she moved. And, you know, Mallory is also her best friend. Like we got a lot of description of like what, like you were saying, what her life was like before where all of her family lived, you know, on the same street or within a couple streets and her best friend was her cousin. And, you know, they, that's like the only time we really get any real description. And, it almost feels like I wish, and maybe we'll get this in the future. I, this is something I actually do hope for is Keisha comes to visit in mm-hmm. a Jesse book. So we actually get a description of what Keisha is like, what their friendship is like, what they do together, how Mallory and Keisha interact with each other. Cause you know, we, I mean, we've seen that with other, you know, other characters and other best friend situations, but I think it would be very interesting because Keisha and Jesse have been best friends basically since birth because mm-hmm. they grew up together. They lived near each other. They spent, you know, 11 years, you know, probably side by side every day. And I think it would be interesting to see, you know, how Mallory fits in with that. You know, if Keisha's just like, oh, we're all best friends. Like, let's all hang out. Like, or you know, if it's how, Delaney, take a little time. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, how, how easygoing is it, are Keisha and Mallory going to be about each other? You know, c- can we see a different version of that storyline in that, you know, they they become fast friends and, you know, they have a great time. And that's not what the plot of the book is, you know, because we've gotten plenty of books where it's like, you know, we've got the, the Lane and Claudia difficulties and, mm-hmm. you know, Stacey's mistake. I mean, the book is called Stacey's Mistake because, I mean, it's not just because yeah. of Claudia and Lane, but like, you know, I, I would love to see a, a book where we get to see that same sort of original dynamic of, you know, two different best friends that live in different places and they're all spending time together. And what does that look like? And in this situation, it's great. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they figure out a way to like all be best friends or both be best friends with Jesse and maybe even be best friends with each other. Who knows how that would work out? But I, I hate that, you know, Keisha actually came to Stony Brook, I think for the first time and we get zero, nothing. nothing at all. My only hesitation with that on the be careful what you wish for front is I don't know about who would be writing. Like, if we're going to go see Jesse's right. family, like, who's going to be writing we this want community of color? Writing that? Yeah. Who's <laughs> going to be writing this best friendship between these two young black women? Uh, that that feels like potential for some That's really problematic. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't particularly want to read any code switching attempts in these books. I, I can just see that yeah. being a disaster. So, I, I don't know that they would need to, and I certainly don't know that they would, like, lean into it. That feels mean to assume the worst. Right. And it's only because we're we're talking about some of – not the worst, because it, it truly isn't the worst of, of what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And like we said, there it isn't overall as bad as some of the other – it's not as bad as it could have been on a right. lot, a lot of levels. We'll leave it there. For sure. And – why the level of difficulty on that would be would be high right. and and if, if if there was if that was a part of the factor of like not digging in to that relationship and those families as much i respect that 
it's very much like I would not mm-hmm. try to write that. I know nothing. That's not my experience. Right. That's not my community. For sure. I, I would – now I would hope the conversation would be we're not qualified to write that. Let's find someone who is rather than right. let's not do it. Yep. But in 1990, I think we can um, call let's not do it a win. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Right. Agreed. Yeah, because the likelihood of them saying let's find the right person is about zero. So. Right. I mean, based yeah. on what we've seen so far, um, clearly that's their <laughs> – they either do it or they don't. They don't do it but find the right person. So, um, yeah, I think of those two options on that storyline, probably better to just not do it at all. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I, like I said, it, this is definitely not as rage-inducing. Ironically enough, I had a moment at the end of the book where I was sort of, it was getting ready to wrap up, you know, things were kind of winding down and I was reflecting on how I felt a little roller coastery about it. You know, I started off really like, oh boy, uh-huh. here we go. And then we settled into the plot and I was like, no, actually th- there's some amazing stuff here. But then every time they talked about why they were doing it, it like right. spiked that, that, uh, that, mm, whatever, yeah. the, the visceral reaction. Yeah. Anyway, so get to the end and I was like, but I'm not overall as as upset as I am at some of the other ones, even some of the ones that are not, you know, the woke quote unquote reasons. Right. And I was like, for example, at the end of the sleepover, guess who's last to pick everybody up? The Barretts. And I was like, and there is a prime example of where I really, really lost my cool. Yeah. <laughs> it had nothing to do with wokeness or color or religion or anything inflammatory. Right. It was just shitty parenting. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, okay. So it feels good to know that I'm not just, you know, latching on to, to social causes because I'm, you know, trying to right. virtue signal. I'm just a hothead. <laughs> I have strong opinions about a lot of things, and exactly. this happened to be one of them. <laughs> I feel very strongly about things, and I, um, well, I mean, we do have a podcast, not because we don't think we have things to say about things, so. <laughs> right. Exactly. It'd be a very boring podcast if we just sat here and said, it was a lovely book. I love The Babysitter's Club. It would be like a five-minute episode. Like, yeah. here's what we're talking about. It was good. The end. <laughs> right. And please, plenty of men feel don't feel any need to justify their desire to rant and rave and make sure everybody hears their opinion. So we're just going in with that energy. That's what real exactly. equality is about. Matching them at their level. <laughs> feminism. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of uh, feminism, I really did love again, aside from the reason why, this plan, the execution, I loved how they acknowledge this is a perfect example of what I really love when these projects when it's not perfect from start to finish mm-hmm. but it's and it's and it's problems of their own making like it's not you know some outside disaster that they're forced to contend with right but it's something that they didn't think through or something that they a, 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 a situation that they didn't envision and minor external things like they uh, had a whole thing with the pizzas not right possibly showing up there was a, it was like supply chain issues. Right. We're dealing with that now. The the special flower shipment doesn't come that this guy was going to donate all the pizzas. It actually was a pretty cute, funny scene when mm-hmm. Dawn's like, okay, well, and she's devastated and she innocent, like she was not playing a game at all. She was just straight up kid, like problem solving. He tells her it's not coming. She's like, okay, well, do you have the number for that pizza parlor over in Mercer? And then she goes, yep. and the, the guy's like, it just gets quiet for a minute. And he's like, mm, let me call the store. <laughs> let me like, let me see what I can do. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I was like, I love that. This is why I love the series so much, because that was such a perfect little gem of a moment in the, in the right. bigger piece. But even that was, that did require problem solving on their part, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like, 
some big external Koki Mason coming in and trying to ruin it. Right. And exactly. This, and the stuff that we did talk about more in the in your description, the you know, kids taking things that they shouldn't <laughs> have and um being overly competitive and how are we gonna handle the logistics of all of this and all of those things? I love the fact that they had to think on their feet and problem solve and find mm-hmm. ways around it. And it wasn't like, oh my God, what was me? We're all such idiots. It was an opportunity to be like, okay. Interesting. Oh, didn't think of this. How do we right? What's the new opportunity? Like Marianne and the receipts. Brilliant. I right. thought that was so so smart. Or yeah. like permission. I, I did slips. love Yeah, I was gonna say I loved that like most of our girls had an opportunity to like add something. So Dawn has this like overarching great idea and you know, she's sort of like, well, yeah, fundraising, we'll just figure that out. And I can't remember who says it, but the, the, whoever is like, well, why don't we just let the kids do what they do? I, it might've been Mallory. Cause Mallory talks about like, you know, when my dad lost mm-hmm. his job, you know, each of my siblings came up with their own thing. You know, the yeah. Nikki got a paper out, Vanessa was doing hair on the playground. The, the triplets came up with their like business to just sort of be gophers and, you know, fix it guys. And, um, and so they like leaned into that and Marianne with the permission slips when they realize kids are just like grabbing whatever they can. And, you know, at the yard sale, Claudia is sort of like, okay, well, how are we going to fix this? Let's get all the parents together. And then the parents, when I think there was a line, it was like, the adults all did the right thing and acted like adults. You know, they, they all sort of were like, yes, okay, we need, we need our stuff back. Like Watson doesn't want his, you know, perfect rare book collection to be sold for $15. But he's like, I'm going to give you $15 for it. That's a firm offer. End of story. I'm taking my stuff. You know, and like, you know, Mrs. Delaney with her lamp is like, you know what? I actually don't really need that lamp anymore. You guys can sell it to someone else. And, you know, whichever parent, you know, their radio was missing. And she was like, I need my radio back. Here's 10 bucks or whatever, you know? So it was, it was nice that they were able to like, all have an opportunity to like, figure something out and you know christy obviously does her her christy thing and helps sort of organize the team you know dawn has this idea but she's not really sure how to do it so christy Mm -hmm. goes into christy mode and helps and to her credit and dawn's credit too for acknowledging it like she says oh boy i was a little worried that christy was going to take over this was my idea and the very next sentence in the or that was like the the cliffhanger of the chapter yeah and then the very first sentence of the next chapter is to christy's credit she didn't you know she immediately tossed it she she helped set it up and like guide it but immediately tossed to dawn and said mm-hmm. you know this is dawn's idea why doesn't she tell you about it so i love that too like you said that everybody gets the girls don't have a bad moment in this book right aside from the societal, aside from the stuff we've already talked about <laughs> which is not i which is not their fault that sounds so right. weird to say but but it's not like decision making on the character's fault that's that's societal right. programming Right, issues. exactly. That's not like overt racism on their, the, the children's part. So, <laughs> right. I thought all of them showed up as their best selves, but not in a over the top, too perfect way that they can. Right. Some, I thought it felt a really nice balance of, of those things. And I thought that there was maybe a little bit of overemphasis on, on, on what they were doing versus the adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the adults sort of letting these 13-year-olds run the show as much as they have. And again, that's a function, this feature, not a bug, right, when it right. comes to these these stories. So uh, and now 44 books in, that is more starting to grow on me as a sort of a fondness, like, oh, yep, all these teachers are – so now my headcanon is like, oh, good, the teachers are like, yes, these overachieving girls <laughs> are coming in. We get to sit back for a week, let them take care of yeah. everything. So uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I have in my notes as one of my sort of like random observations is like 
Do we think that the adults of Stony Brook are just like, ugh, these girls again? I mean, we know, God, what was his name? Robbie or something in their class is like, oh, can I join the babysitter's club so I can get out of class? Like, (laughs) you know, so it's like obviously some of their their classmates are maybe a little bit like, oh, look at these girls. They get to like run around and do whatever they want. But like every – because like you're saying, like I kind of – I think I'm going to have to just like lean into what you said. But like in my mind, I'm just like – they feel kind of exhausting, <laughs> they, you know, oh, I'm like, sure they are. I'm, you know, like, I'm sure that the parents, the actual parents, I'm sure are like, oh, good, they're planning another thing my kids can go to, like, to have fun mm-hmm. with their friends. So, like, I get it, but also I'm like, it's like every other book. They're like, here's this thing that's citywide and we're all going to be involved and we're going to take over this area and that area and, like, this event and that event. And it's just like... It feels exhausting. Like, I don't have yeah. to deal with any kids like this, but it's just like, I feel like if I were an adult in Stony Brook, I would just be like, okay, can you we again? can we do maybe like a month without you guys planning a big town-wide event? Maybe. <laughs> maybe? Can we do that? Like, how many times do they go to the library and make copies? Like, I feel like their entire treasury goes to making copies for all these like big events that they're doing, you know? <laughs> Like, how do you have money for kid kits and sleepovers? Everything's like 10 cents a page at the library. Speaking of which, you kind of touched on it in your summary, but the the actual financials of, of this whole thing yes. are very dubious. Phenomenal total. That just means like infinity dollars. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, enough to secure a bank loan right. is wild. And that's after they shipped all the shit, which that cost had to be well, and they said it was like three minivans full of stuff to go to the the post office. So it's like, I feel like you guys should have just chartered a, a carrier bus or something because like that's an insane amount of stuff to be donating food and clothing and everything wise. And then on top of that, you know, they're they're paying just normal USPS shipping rates, which yeah. I'm sure was through the roof because they're not doing, you know, crate or whatever. But or freight, not crate. I'm an idiot. They were shipped in crates. It's freight. I didn't even like <laughs> register. Yeah. I was just like, was just like wait yeah, a minute. Sure. Crate, yeah. But, you know, like freight charges would be probably smarter. I'm sure they didn't do that because the post office doesn't do that. But then, like you said, on once they have to pay all of that out of the donations. So the donations help to pay for the shipping or paid for the shipping. And then after all of that, they have enough that they send a check and it's a phenomenal amount that allows them to get a construction loan to rebuild the school and presumably other things in the town but it's like do you not have insurance how much money is it that you have that as your down payment like how did you have zero dollars to get a construction loan to rebuild you should have insurance that would cover that and maybe that's like a product of maybe like you know indigenous tribes on reservations there's different rules maybe they don't want to handle insurance you know cuz like there are definitely i mean in my job i have dealt with people because of their religious beliefs they're entering into contracts there can't be interest on repayments because that is against their religion so like i don't i've had less you know direct interaction with indigenous peoples as you have and i'm not sure that this would have ever come up that you would even know the answer but like Mm-mm. maybe it's a product of their culture that they don't handle insurance or they have insurance in a different way. But the fact that this is only talking about a construction loan and the only way they were able to get it was this money from, you know, these rich kids in Stony Brook, it makes me feel like, I feel like this book maybe just didn't think about the logistics and the Mm -hmm. realities because I, I don't think that insurance is against anyone's religion. I don't think so either. Uh, And I do know that, that 
nationally recognized tribes and and federally established reservations do have sovereignty and they have their own right. government and there's there's I'm certainly not an expert because there, there's all kinds of ways that that interacts with the federal government and I know enough to be dangerous, so I'm going to stop talking mm-hmm. because I will <laughs> say something wrong. Right. Fair. <laughs> but I will just say I know enough to to state that I do believe that that would not affect insurance in any way. Uh, right. So – and that to me, I didn't get hung up on as much on the insurance aspect, which makes sense for you. That's part of your <laughs> right. negotiation contracts. For me, it was more of an overall – the insulting – and this is where I got – like my, my last roller coaster peak was, was that piece – because they were, they got this letter and they're like, oh, and it inspired us to fundraise. And then, then it inspired us to go to the government and ask for disaster relief right. funds. And I'm like, you didn't think to do any of that shit until some kids from Connecticut sent right. you their hand-me-downs? Like, you were just sitting there crying in your homes because until some – these the Babysitter's Club came to save you? Nah, nah that ain't right. it. Like that – and I think you're right. I, I As a benefit of the doubt, that feels less like we assume you can't handle it and more right. like – plot like they want to see what they've inspired but right again and, like let's wrap up this book like let's end on a happy note even though it's not actually happy <laughs> and the the thing is this is the unforced error of it if it hadn't been an indigenous tribe if it hadn't been a native american reservation and it just been another town i we would have pointed that out i'm sure like so they didn't do anything for themselves so right just <laughs> but it would have been a funny like laughing thing as opposed right. to mm, when you put it in this context, it feels icky. Like we can't yeah. take care of ourselves again. We need that the white savior right. to, to to sweep in. I did, however, have a really funny reaction to the scene where they figured out that the kids were giving too much. Mm-hmm. Because the thing that triggers it for Dawn is finding caviar. And she was uh, the her first sentence is something like, I thought it was strange that there was they, who was donating caviar. And I and my thought before I continued reading, I immediately went to Clueless. One hundred percent. The Hadians. No, that's the the first part. What are they? What disaster relief are they? She's Pismo Beach Pismo disaster Beach. relief. That's what it. I, yeah, that was her debate in the beginning. God, it's been a hot minute yeah. since I watched Clueless. I need to go back. I know and do it's that. been a while. So anyway, I think that's on the list. But yeah, the point is, I re- I remember them donating like skis and like right. Travis b- donates his bong, and I, I vividly remember one of them was caviar, and so that's mm-hmm. my reaction was like. That tracks. Yep. Caviar is right. exactly what people Because from- you guys are rich in Stony Brook. And of course you have three jars of caviar that you would donate to a, a you know, food drive. <laughs> and then Don's like, huh, that seemed like a weird thing to donate. Who would who would do that and why? And then looked at these nice suits and, the, and, and it led to them being like, oh, these things are too nice for them to be donations. Right. And I was like, ooh, does that feel like a gross message to send too? And like, I, I do love the scene with the the garage sale where they're buying it back. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been enough. I feel like we didn't need the barn. Right, we didn't need that. Because that feels like people are literally just going back and taking back donations. And that feels really gross. It feels gross for them too. And it's not like the parents did anything wrong. That was right. It, it just, that felt like an unnecessarily level of like ickiness. Marianne right. could have had the permission slip idea that came from the the garage sale, the yard sale, right. because that would that that scene really did work great and really got to give it up to our new boy Peter. Uh, there were some really funny funny moments mm-hmm. in this one. Those those asides that we've talked about, that ending joke. I, I I'm going to be looking forward to uh to seeing him. I gotta say, mm-hmm. I was not looking forward to the Ghostwriter era, but. Yep. I've been pleasantly surprised. We, we, yeah. We've had some. They've had varying degrees of success, but we, I, 
maybe I won't speak for yourself, but I think you probably feel the same way. Like I was expecting all of them to feel lesser than yes. the original and written books. And I would say there's definitely some that surpass at least some of Anne's original books. Yeah. And some of uh, it's maybe not surpassed for me, but it's a different like this. Peter's sense of humor, you can tell, is clearly slightly different than Anne's. Yeah. Uh, Jan Carr's way of describing things is a little bit different. Ellen Miles has a little bit different sense of humor as well uh, than mm-hmm. uh, different than Peter's even. So like we're starting to see some of those things start to come out. And we're also starting to see who's being invited back multiple times and who isn't. Fair. So I think as we go on, it is going to be fun. And I know this is something we talked about from the very beginning of being excited to see if we were going to be able to start to recognize ghostwriters. And we have sort of gotten to the point where we recognize when it is a ghostwriter. We can tell Anne versus not Anne. So now it's going to be fun to see if we can start, you know, digging into what are hallmarks of an Ellen versus a Peter versus a Jan and, um, and have that be something to, uh, to comment on as well. So, yeah. Well, th- we've kind of wandered away from the big ideas. <laughs> Is that because we're running out of steam on them and ready to switch up to uh, random observations? Or are, do you have anything left to add to no, the main? I, yeah, I, I think we've, I think we've exhausted our, our topic on the, the great idea topic. So yeah, I think, I think random and I think the random stuff is going to be a little bit more fun than 100% than the great idea topics. Cause those are, as we've discussed, not great. <laughs> just it's the it's the the unforced error of it all. That's what I just keep coming back to. I've said that like seventeen times now, and it's gonna just continue to haunt me because it didn't need to yep. be this way. So close exactly. to perfect. Well, yep. uh, perfect. Nothing's perfect, and so close to being such a great top tier book. Exactly. So, uh, just just a little biff the landing. Yep, but. There was so much fun stuff on the outskirts. I mean, just the name Goober and that whole Goober showing up in the dinosaur suit. I, I, yes, please, more, yeah. more of that always. The whole carnival, I feel like, was just great. Like, it was just fun top to bottom. You know, all of the kids were having a great time either having their own games and tricks and things. You know, I think Lanny was putting on a, or Lenny was putting on a magic show and the triplets were, you know, doing free throw for prizes in the the yard or in the the um, driveway and you know there there was like bowling and you know, we t- already talked about Jesse and Keisha were walking around taking Polaroids of pe- people and like selling them you know back to them for you know a dollar so or whatever and they didn't have a price but like it was great and like everyone was having such a good time and I think one of the things that I loved was like Jesse and Mallory when all of the drama was happening with Chewie getting scared and running through and, you know, sort of knocking people aside and knocking, you know, tents over and all of those things, they were all like, oh, God, this is going to be a disaster. And then they were both pleasantly surprised that there were even more people and, you know, even having a better time once all of that happened. So it was like something crazy happened, but then it, it ended up great and they had a great time. And like, I just loved that. I loved everything about that. That that the whole section to me is quintessential Babysitter's Club. What mm-hmm. I love about this series, it's fun, it's chaotic. The girls were doing something awesome and in control, but they weren't, you know, 30-year-olds. Right. There were still- It was a, a normal thing that two 11-year-olds would plan in a backyard. And they did a great job with it. And it yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't like they had you know, over the top production values. It was like, we're just going to help organize these kids to like do their own thing and have a great time. And that, and all of the, I don't want to say thrown away jokes because they, they're they not thrown away in that they were 
not thoughtful or unimportant, but like little moments that didn't impact the greater plot, but added mm-hmm. to the feeling and our knowing of these characters in this world. Like you talked about Jesse in the pictures. First of all, that's a genius idea. I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, we got our, had our picture taken as a group at the fashion show a couple of weeks ago. And thankfully it was used as part of the reporting on it. So we got to, to get it. But I remember as the photographer was walking away. I was like, man, can, can we can we get a copy of that? Right, I'm like, <laughs> exactly. We get good group shots done by an actual photographer on the you know right. on the regular. So I was like, that would have been a genius. I was like, that's there's a business in there somewhere. So mm-hmm. um, trademark, trademark, trademark. No, I'm just kidding. If anybody <laughs> wants to take it and run with it, you can uh, credit Lauren's yeah. great idea. But the point is, the moment when she takes the picture of Mallory and it's like unflattering because she like takes a candid and Mallory's she's like say cheese like while she's talking but it comes out gross and Mallory's like throw it away she's like I told you to say cheese I was like that is such a funny best friend perfect mm-hmm. little moment that more than the last 10 books of them saying Mal and Jesse are best friends they have things right. in common that one little snapshot says more about that friendship than because Jesse was was teasing Mallory wasn't mad there was no it right. was it was just goofy Preteen girl best friend stuff. And I loved that so much. Yeah. Every part of yep. that. The the naming, I mean, like literally the introduction of Goober. Perfect. Loved every yep. part. Every part so good. So yeah, that was one of my big ones. Uh, yep. My big random observations. Yeah. My other biggest random observation was the horn of dilemma. That is a, a a phrase that Dawn used multiple times in this book, starting from the very beginning. She said she read it, it like it's really, I think the first sec- second page. Mm-hmm. She says something the the triplets were in the horns of a dilemma. She said, "Not really. I read that in a book once, and it cracked me up." I had never heard that phrase before. Had you? No. So I, being me, googled it because I was like, "Is this a real thing?" Well, actually, what I thought was it was a specific quote from a specific book like it was like a a one-to-one reference but it turns out it's actually a seems like pretty commonly held and known phrase that had just completely passed me by so i don't know if it's regional i don't know if it's generational if it's like it had fallen out of fashion but essentially horns of a dilemma is they're saying that you have basically like two options but either one's bad like either way you're going to get speared by the horn so it's kind of like either way you have to make a choice and there are some variations on that and and the yeah i I went down my adhd rabbit hole a little bit so i could give us a dissertation on it don't worry i won't i'll I'll keep (laughs) that train in the station but i liked that i actually kind of really liked that phrase so kind of like between a rock and a hard place something similar but more just knowing you have to make a choice and that either way something's going to happen with right. one of them. It's it's not going to be perfect. No, it's not like there's a clear good choice and bad choice. Exactly. So I liked that. So I want to I, yeah. I petition for us to... Uh, Let's bring it back. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with leaving Dibley where it lies, but uh, <laughs> but this one I kind of like. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I, I think we should start using it. Hopefully we don't have to use it too much because that would mean that there are... are bad situations abound and we don't want to have to be in those situations. But I I like it for when that situ- situation does arise. I like having that at, at the my beck and call to reference. And it's going to be really um, fun to watch people's faces go, huh? Right. And then then you get to give your whole dissertation yes. in real wor- in the real world. Um, one thing I really enjoyed, and I don't know that we've ever seen this before, but it was Christy at her Christiest. When Dawn... You know, they have their emergency BSC meeting and that's, you know, that's the situation where not 
Dawn hasn't had the opportunity to relay to all the girls what her plan is. And that's where Christy says, okay, we have this emergency meeting. Dawn, why don't you tell everybody your great idea? Which I loved, like you said. Um, But the thing was, Obviously, all of the girls are very much like, yeah, let's do it. And Christy's like, do I have a motion yes. to put this to a vote? And Claudia's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I motion. And she's like, you have to say it. I, you know, I put to a motion that we, you know, I, I motion that, you know, we vote on Dawn's great idea. And then, you know, whoever, like, Jesse seconds it. And then they, like, vote. And they all say yes. And it's like, when did Christy start using, like, Robert's Rules of Orders at Babysitter's right? Club meetings? Oh, it, it's even better, though, because you missed... Or, or further insistence, because then Claudia's like, fine, I raise the motion that we vote on Don's idea. And Christy goes, no, what are we voting on? <laughs> she has to be like, fine, I raise the vote that we are going to vote on Don's idea to fundraise. And I'm like, yeah, that, right. this, this is pedantic Christy to a T. And I totally, I, I felt that in my bones. This is one of the ways in which I am sus to Christy that pedantic need to follow the rules and order and do things in the the quote right way it's not a good thing it's certainly not something <laughs> that i'd say has brought a lot of joy and pleasure into my life um because most people react similarly to the way you did <laughs> well i think the thing that was just funny about it is like and maybe this is me and my sometimes lesser excited reaction about Christie's antics like this. When Christie has a great idea, no one has to vote on it. It's 100%. just happening. And I think that was the thing that jumped out. It was like, this is Don's great idea. Okay, we have to make sure that everyone's on board and that we all want to do this the same way that Don is saying that we should do it. Are we sure we want to do it this way? Are you do you guys really want to do you know like it felt like she was almost second guessing Don or like you know, obviously everyone would always go along with Christie's idea, mm-hmm. whatever it is, however it is. But I need to make sure that everyone really agrees that Dawn's idea is a great one and that we should do it exactly as she's proposed. And again, I that, that I think is maybe my personal reaction to, you know, I, if I were Dawn in that situation, that's how I would feel. Mm-hmm. So I think that I am maybe over identifying with Dawn in that situation. I don't think that that's how Christie meant it, right. at least not consciously. But we do know that Christie tends to know that her idea is the best one and that there should be no questioning of said idea. <laughs> so that's it's literally just... how Dawn describes it. Like Christie's, she said something about Christie knows it, it or whatever, how she's describing how Christie is. And she's yeah. like, and Christie knows this. Like, right. and, and I get it. And I totally understand that perspective and why you identify with Dawn. And so for my over-identifying with Christie, I read it as, her knowing very well, this is Dawn's idea. Do not, t- I, I read it if, if it were me, because I, I very much have been this person in this situation many times going, this is not my idea. Do not take over. This is not my idea. Do not take over. Make sure that I am not trying to take this away from Dawn. This is hers. So what I can do is control the process of this. I can, mm-hmm. I can make sure that we do it right. So I can help Dawn in that way by using, right. and it comes across as unbearing and trying to take over. But what it really is, is a massive, and I, obviously I can't speak to an actual fictional character who was written <laughs> by our man Peter 30 plus years ago. But for me, I've, I've, I know that feeling very well. Well, I, I will sort of latch onto the logistics piece of things mm-hmm. that I don't have control over as a way to either regain a sense of control or to stop myself from trying to bulldoze because of right. my great ideas that that often feel very right. big and very like yeah. 
To be able to contribute in a meaningful way without taking over. Yes. Yeah. And allowing and knowing like uh, that it's it's theirs and wanting to give them that uh, and, and not Christy it up or Lauren it up and, and insert myself in places that is, it's not mine. So I did. I felt for her in that moment. I was like, I, I see you, girl. You're trying to hang on to whatever whatever yeah. last shred of control you can get. But I, honestly, it feels like progress for Christy to so – easily seed mm-hmm. power and or credit even right that, and that's the bigger thing for christy like we see the control stuff but christy's a credit hound and that to me thankfully i'm not quite that bad i i hope i like to think um <laughs> but i i really was proud of her in that moment yeah. for not trying to take any kind of credit even with the teachers she didn't like she really like when dawn was talking to the to the so they decide to announce it via assembly, right? And the, she's the one who tells Dawn, "We decided that you should talk because this is your idea." Yeah. And then Dawn gets really, really nervous, and it would have been very, very easy for Christy to be like, and and with good with maybe conscious good intention and subconscious right. Christiness, Laurenness, um, in in the background, you know, being like, "I I actually believe I'm trying to help you by saying, oh, you're nervous, let me take over.'" Yeah. And she didn't do any of that. So I think overall, yeah, it was her being obnoxious. But I think overall it was a big step forward for Christy. Now, yeah. will that momentum continue? <laughs> right. Kind of doubtful. I have a feeling we're going to see. TBD. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know that I would want it to because that's part of right. the fun of the character. And we, we've got 100 more of these books. If if she solved her her less uh, desirable aspects by 44. We're in right. for a long, long yeah. couple of years It's just going to get boring without, exactly. without Christy drama coming up. Agreed. Okay, so I have two other, like, basically just one-off, like, sentences before we get to fashion, unless you have anything else. My only other one-off, uh, my only other random observation is just a one-off thing, too. Uh, it's on the book color. I So, obviously, I read electronically, and, I, and the color of the cover looked like a darker orange. And I didn't mm-hmm. know if it was my, like if that was the the electronic file that maybe just like distorted mm-hmm. the color. But I looked it up and it turns out it is, it is the only book in this color palette. It's off the, it, it's more similar to the Stacy, the first Stacy book. Remember when we talked about how that color is oh, so yeah. wrong off the pastels? This is more in the same tone family as that book. So it's like of a more burnt okay. orange color as opposed to yeah. the pastels. Apparently, according to Google, we don't see that again. So interesting. Not, interesting. Not important, but just random observation. Just fun to to think about. Fun facts. Yeah. Fun facts about Babysitter's Club. Um, so my two things. One is uh, towards the beginning of the book when, when Dawn has her great idea and she comes home to tell Marianne. Marianne is reading Tiger Eyes by Judy Bloom, which is a book that is near and dear to my heart. So I was just very happy to see it referenced in a, a Babysitter's Club book. That was actually the first moment that I was like, oh, I think I'm really going to like this Peter guy because – Dawn bursts in and tries to get Marianne's attention, and Marianne won't look up from her book, and she's like, hey, the guy at the hospital, and she's like, whoa, no, spoilers, and I was like, I love, that's such a great sister moment, um, yep. I was like, mm, that, and that felt like, that felt appropriate level of bratty for Dawn, Yeah, you know what I mean, like, not yep, gaslighting, exactly. but like, right. pay attention to me but or But she I'll knew she would get the reaction that yeah. she wanted, and which is getting Marianne's attention. And I would have yeah, been annoyed if I was Marianne. That. Like, no, I'm reading Tiger Eyes because that was a that was a, a all the Judy Bloom. Oh man, I mm-hmm. I vividly remember hiding in my closet with Forever because I knew mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed. Yet. Oh yeah, scandalous. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. Um, and then my only other thing, um, apparently Buddy Barrett sleepwalks. Yeah. I don't know that we have ever heard about that. Not that, I mean, I guess we don't get a lot of kids sleeping when our babysitters are around. So, or they don't mention anything. So I, that was just something at the sleepover, you know, Buddy Barrett's sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. One of the teachers is falling around because you can't wake up a sleepwalker because those are the rules. Is that a thing? I, like, I, that's one of those things that I feel like movies and television have told me, but I, I is that a real, I don't know anything. I, I don't think it's a real thing. I feel like I remember reading something, but I could be totally making this up, but I feel like I remember reading something like it's fine. I think you know, I remember the same thing, and that's why I'm going I, – I call – it's kind of like the amnesia yeah. thing where it, in movies and television, it's totally accepted that you bonk your head, amnesia, right. bonk it again. I remember. Exactly. And and that's just become such a trope. I feel like the sleepwalking thing has kind of done the same thing. Yeah. Or, yeah, I definitely did because I remember the – whatever I was reading, it was basically like not waking them up. Especially if they're in a potentially dangerous situation, like they're near the top of the stairs. Of course, you're going to wake them up. You're not going to be like, well, I'll just let them walk down the stairs. I'm sure everything will be fine. You know, like that was the thing is like, you know, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's the whole. uh, Yeah, that I think maybe it was based on conventional wisdom of a time when they didn't know any better. And then we we've moved on. The science has moved on and we're still, you know, that's a holdover. But was Buddy on the castaway island with them wasn't he one of the kids i don't think so maybe not i think it was it was jamie I know jamie and it was jeff don's brother right but weren't there a couple of and then charlotte and becca there They're were only the four okay. kids i i don't know why i was thinking buddy was but that would have been funny if he was you know he was on yeah, the island overnight sleepwalking and sleepwalking around the, the island and they were like what the hell like that would have been yeah been- well we sort of got that when you know jeff gets up to go fishing in the morning and they wake up and they're like Where's Jeff? Jeff? So, yeah. so we we got we got a different version of what happened to that child. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, was there any fashion in this one? I I didn't have anything that popped there, out at me. There were a couple good Claudia outfits. One a little bit more exciting than the other, but I'm going to read both because Yay. Claudia's outfits are always good. So, first description of Claudia. For instance, she walked into school today wearing a bright yellow oversized man's jacket with rolled up sleeves, a wide paisley tie right out of the 1960s, orange stirrup pants, ankle boots, and huge hoop earrings. And you know what? On her, it looked totally cool. You know what? I, I don't, know, don't why. know that I believe that. <laughs> I don't know why that I, that one didn't stand out to me because that is definitely an outfit that I tried to recreate a variation of. It wasn't orange yeah. stirrup pants, it was black, but it was definitely like the necktie and the oversized and the right. ankle boots. I feel like without the orange pants, I could probably get on board with a version of this, but the yellow jacket with the orange stirrup leggings no, and much. the paisley tie, like the yellow jacket paisley tie, I'm like envisioning a version of that that I'm like fully on board for, but add in those orange pants, any orange pants like that's no. that's a no. And that's that's exactly – I knew even then to be like, mm. I, well, yeah. I think at the Maybe time – Maybe let's do some black. <laughs> at the time, my thought process when I was modifying Claudia's outfits was definitely, I can't pull this off because I'm not Claudia Kishi. But I think looking back, it's more just – an innate sense of style that maybe <laughs> is lacking from some of these descriptions. Exactly. Or at least okay, one that so I'm the- comfortable with anyway. Not that anybody else's right. style. Fair. I mean, wear whatever makes you happy. Don't yuck your yum. Exactly. We're, if you want to wear yellow and paisley and orange, have at it. I'm not going to stop anyone. I just know personally, if I put that on my body, I would look in the mirror and go, yikes. Yeah, very much so. so. <laughs> okay, so here's the other Claudia description. 
Claudia greeted us at the door to her room with her hair in a ponytail on top of her head, held up by a huge barrette in the shape of a bone, like pebbles on the Flintstones. It made her hair bounce when she moved. She was even wearing a pebbles-type outfit, a pink off-the-shoulder blouse with huge polka dots and a ragged bottom over black tights. On anyone else, it would have looked dumb or babyish, but on Claudia, it looked cool. So both of her outfits looked totally cool on her, but no one else. <laughs> the I did I had forgotten about it, but I did fully note the pebbles thing because I was like, that's such a random inspiration for her. But I right. kind of love it. Led me to the head canon that Claudia is uh, grows up to be a total Disney adult and like Disney bounder, and is like creating Disney costumes and and going to the park. And I I love that for her. So, mm-hmm. and this was the the seeds of inspiration for that. But yeah, I there's potential for that. I mean, yeah. it could veer into costume very, very quickly, but it could be fun. So yeah. And if anybody could carry it off, it definitely is Miss Kishi. It's the, it's the confidence and the, I, I think when you're an artist, there's just a, a level up, you get an automatic level up on um, getting away with things fashion wise. Mm-hmm. Just the knowledge that, Oh, that's just an artist thing. <laughs> yeah. Th- that's just how she is. It's fine. It totally works because she's an artist. Exactly. And I dig that. I dig that. Okay. So I think we're ready to discuss our predictions for our next book, which is a super special, which is very exciting. So our next book is New York, New York. I can't imagine what's going to happen in this one. I think we're going back to Disney World, (laughs) speaking of it. For sure. A cruise around the Bahamas. Maybe there's a Taz Tuckin in this one. (laughs) Well, we do have a very special guest joining us next week since it, or mm-hmm. again next week. We have a very special guest joining us next episode in 2 weeks since yes. it is a super special, so we're excited for you to meet another one of our librarian friends. Yay. Yes. It'll be a very good discussion, I'm sure of it. So, do you remember this book? Did you read it as a child? I absolutely read it and I vividly remember the cover of all of them kind of like arms around each other with the skyline in the background. Mm-hmm. I don't remember much of the details. I'm this is one I I've I can say with confidence that it's going to be coming back to me as I'm reading it. I'm certain okay. of that. But I don't not I don't have any big memories. So let's see. Let's go with a realistic prediction. Well wait, actually do you do you remember it? I yeah, I don't think I read this one. Oh okay. Somehow because cool. there are definitely later super specials that I did read, but this one I did not read. So I it missed me. It passed me by no recollection whatsoever. Maybe, maybe I'll be surprised and be like, oh, yes, I did read this. I don't think that's going to happen. So I, first of all, think it's a little interesting that it's a super special at all, seeing as how it was literally the last book that they were going back and forth to New York right. twice in a weekend. So for it to, for that to warrant a exclamation point laden title <laughs> right. feels a little um, whatever. So I'm like trying to think of like what would be exciting enough to warrant a super special in New York. So mm-hmm. maybe somebody wins a contest of some kind. Okay. Uh, or like, cause they, you know, they won the lottery to go to California. So something like that, maybe to um, seats to see a taping of a show or um, a tour of something, you know, so, something like that. Maybe they had, oh, I got it. They had to write uh, essays like Logan oh, okay. and Veronica Mars, and they won. Somebody's essay was picked to be like some kind of special New York thing. It was something that can attach to school. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Quick enough this morning to come up with what that could be, but there's plenty. It, UN. We'll go with something UN related. That makes sense. And so they all go, and then they all have their disparate adventures. One of them's going to meet a boy. One of them's going to do something stupid and get in trouble. 
<laughs> one of them is going to get a fight with one of the other ones. Okay, who hasn't? Claudia meets boys and Dawn meets boys a lot. Marion just broke up. Okay, I'm, I'm not going too far down this rabbit. We could be here for hours. So one of them meets a boy. One of them gets in trouble. Two of them get in a fight. And they're there because somebody won a school-related UN contest and they get to do some special event. Okay. I'm going to say they're there because it's like a long weekend from school. So I don't think it's going to be like a long trip. Okay. Um, and maybe maybe more like like a Thanksgiving. So like four days. Like They're not there for Thanksgiving, but like it's not just like Friday to Sunday. It's like maybe it's like Labor Day Thursday or... night to like Monday. So it's like a little bit more of extended, but I... They, they've already had so many, like, long two-week vacations all times of the year. So, like, I'm going to say not not a long vacation. But – I think and I think they're just there because Stacey's like, the last time you guys were here, I was in the hospital. Like, let's have a, a fun adventure. I like that. So, so they all go. I think that I'm sure that Marianne's going to continue to be her, like, walking, you know, travel guide yeah. because that's just how she – Marianne is, especially in New York – um, I think I like you. I think one of them is going to fall in LUV love, mm-hmm. and I I think I'm going to go out ahead and predict because I think that it's the most unlikely. I think it's going to be Jesse because we Ooh. we aside from Ben Hobart, you know, we don't really get a lot of the the younger girls getting interested in boys. So I think that's maybe a little bit more on the like outrageous prediction, but like I I think. I think we're going to get a Jesse love interest I, of some kind. She's the only one who hasn't had one of those romantic plot lines so far. Right. So I, and that, I like that's, that. Yeah. So when I when I was doing my notes for this, I was like, who do I think it's going to be? Let's let's go someone that we've gotten none of that from before and we'll do Jesse. So we'll see. I, I think that's unlikely because she's 11. But yeah. we'll see where things go. And speaking um, of Ben Hobart, he has basically disappeared from the series. Yeah. I haven't heard about the Hobart boys I'm sure at all. he They'll comes come back, back around. around. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure. But yeah, it's weird that we haven't even gotten a like in passing because all of the books we get the like – Marianne had, I mean, they're broken up now. So she's like, oh, Marianne had a, it's oh, the only one of us funny. that's had a boyfriend. Yeah. And this one is like, oh, I mean, well, he's still alive. Exactly. His <laughs> name was Logan. It Well, is. He's still alive. Right, it is. He's still, he, we just don't see him as much. <laughs> but yeah, we don't even get like an in-passing reference to Ben Hobart or the Hobarts at all. We so, haven't seen those kids at all. That's what I'm saying. The last couple of books, I think we're in one of the pocket universes where the Hobarts never moved from Australia. Fair. So I like that idea. Um, okay, what else? I think. Oh, I think. Um, I think at least one of the girls is going to get like a babysitting job that's like oh, yeah. multiple times over their trip because that always seems always, to happen. Yeah. I I'm going to predict that it's even though Stacey's dad doesn't still live in the building that they lived in. I think it's going to be um, Henry and Grace that she you know used to babysit for in her old building. I'll um, amend mine to say that somebody at the UN has a kid that one of the ooh. girls like takes Bonds under their wing and, and yeah, time, yeah. And, and because they're 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 foreign and coming in and they're bored yeah. and i'm thinking similar to like marianne and, and california girls but so yeah. it wouldn't be marianne right they wouldn't want to repeat that but although that feels like a very marianne, marianne thing, thing to do, to do. <laughs> and and it also feels like a babysitter's club thing to do to repeat those plot lines so we'll go with marianne <laughs> okay i love it yeah i feel like like christy is going to be a little bit backburnered. You know, I like, I just feel like, I, maybe not. I don't know. Like, I feel like, I feel like in a lot of the super specials, Christy's kind of backburnered. I was just thinking that. You know? I was like, because what, so what I think really that's do? where I'm coming from. Yeah. Right. She's always just sort of like there and has like a little something, you know, like when they were in California, she had her like, I don't like the We Heart Kids Club, but like, 
it wasn't really like a thing thing. Yeah. So I feel like Christy's going to get another one of those like something's happening, but like it's not really a thing thing for Christy. And I think that that makes sense. I've never thought about this before, but because she is like we talked about such the person who needs to control and lead and like drive the ship in this, the the way the supers are specials are structured, first of all. And secondly, what they're actually doing in terms of the plot don't lend themselves well to those skill sets. Like in California Girls, that wasn't about a, an idea that she could like dictate or or control right. anything. She's just along for the ride. And that's not a very Christy place to be. So I think that that's right. why she gets backburned. So that makes sense. And she doesn't – I don't remember Christy having strong New York feelings one way or another. Right. So yeah. I, I don't, you know, she's not going Marianne crazy about it, but, um, so actually that's what I will do then for my outrageous prediction. I am instead going to say, I'm going to make it all about Christy <laughs> and say that actually piggybacking off of the We Heart Kids Club thing that you just mentioned, let's say she learned a lesson there and realized, actually, there's a potential gold mine here if we franchise. So Christy is taking the Babysitter's Club. It's New York, New York, exclamation point, the takeover. And she's going to (laughs) start Babysitter's Club franchises all over the neighborhoods of New York and one in every building. And she's going to create a whole mini empire and, and become the next face of the babysitting revolution. I support that. Okay, so my outlandish, I think, I feel like we haven't gotten a lot of, even though we, like, literally just had a Jesse book, like, I feel like we haven't gotten a ton of, like, Jesse and Mallory getting, like, big adventures. Yeah. So my my outlandish prediction is the two of them are doing their own thing. They're, you know, they're on the streets of Broadway, and almost simultaneously, Jesse is sort of, like, dancing around, so you can tell that she has some dance talent. So... You know, there's a producer of a, a Broadway yes. show that's like, oh, no, our star has been injured for this evening. Can you dance? We need you to, to to perform for one night only. She'll be back on stage tomorrow. We just need you tonight. So Jessie gets her Broadway debut in, you know, some musical where she doesn't have to sing. She's just like a, a star dancer in the yeah. show. And at the same time, Mallory gets scouted to be a model because she has this interesting look. The, the look that she has yes. hated so much in California, she's now being praised for and she gets to, you know, do like a, a magazine photo shoot and she gets an agent by the end of the episode or by the end of the book. I love this journey for Mal. And you know what's funny is the f- very first thing that popped in my head when we, we I started thinking about what my regular, my real prediction was, was – Maybe Jesse's performing in New York because oh. – and, and I was like, ah, we just had that plot line. But I was like, I love that um, – it, it, I mean, I was envisioning a more realistic version than her being spotted on the street. But right. I just love that we both went there. So I, I think the only other thing that could top both of ours is Godzilla. Mm, mm. I like it. Yeah. So on that note, I think that it's time to wrap things up for, for this okay. episode because I want now to go read New York, New York and um, see how right we are yeah. or how how incredibly wrong we are, which is sometimes even more fun. But I'm also going to be watching Clueless as soon as we wrap up here today. Apparently. Also a good call. Okay. Well, it sounds like our final club business is that we are both going to sign off and uh, watch Clueless. But anything else we need to take care of before we officially adjourn this episode? Let's just remind everybody that you can find us on our socials at Generation BSC and Twitter and Instagram. 
Or if you have more to say than can be contained, you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.